Hello, everyone. I'm Madhumita Mantri, uh, product lead at Startry. Uh, it's an upcoming uh, company in Bay Area into real-time analytics and anomaly detection. I'm extremely passionate about data science and AI uh, area. I know Shivi for a while since my LinkedIn days. In fact, uh, she has been a great inspiration and helped me also to transition to product management couple of years back and I'm excited to see her book release on uh, generative AI. So I was curious to learn more about from her. So I thought so, so I thought to do this AMA session. Uh, this session will be recorded uh, and I have a couple of questions I will go over first and then I'll open up the floor for questions. In case we run out, uh, then run out of time, then we will uh, respond to your questions offline. So with that, I'll open up the forum, Shivi. Uh, welcome to the AMS session. And if you can do a quick intro about yourself, who you are, your career journey so far, and what's not on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me here. And thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, it's great to see you uh, live. Um, my name is Shivi. I am a product lead at LinkedIn. Um, so I, a bit of background for myself, I started my career actually working in consulting, driving a lot of digital innovation and corporate innovation, uh, in the CRM and like sales process, uh, in 2018 was when I joined LinkedIn first, uh, working in our sales technology team, looking at, you know, how to build a better customer relationship, uh, you know, software for our sales team. And then right before COVID was when I formally transitioned into, uh, more member-facing uh, product teams. So I started out working at LinkedIn Learning, um, uh, you know, at different different areas of LinkedIn Learning, um, from, you know, building a platform to search and discovery. There's an AI, AI elements there uh, to building some venture bats of launching new format of learning, including office hours, uh, you know, like uh, events like this, as well as, um, uh, uh, newsletters and, and building, helping LinkedIn learning instructors build their presence on LinkedIn. Um, and then uh, later on transition to working on our online jobs business, looking at how to help a small and medium sized business um, to hire better, hire faster. Uh, and then the past year I've been working mostly in the growth area um, to help LinkedIn unlock uh, new areas of growth in audience that don't traditionally uh, use LinkedIn. So audiences like healthcare uh, and maybe uh, K through 12 teachers. Uh, so very much uh, in a venture bad uh, capacity. Um, so outside of work, I guess, um, you know, as you can see from my LinkedIn profile, I, I, I am very, passionate about this notion of a dog fooding your own products. Um, so about two and a half years ago, I started to share about my career journey on LinkedIn, uh, building an audience on LinkedIn and, and trying to figure out various ways to grow my audience. Uh, I share mostly about product stories as well as uh, career insights. Um, and over the years, I also have this PM learning series, which you can see on my profile that I interview product leaders, uh, um, you know, about their career journey, how they build products. Um, and then this past, um, I guess, seven months now today uh, was when I, uh, you know, work uh, on a book uh, called Building uh, Reimagined, Building Product with Generative AI, uh, where I co-authored with two other um, AI builders. 
Um, and yeah, I'm very excited to be here to share that. What's not on my LinkedIn profile, um, cooking is a form of uh, therapy for me. Um, so I, I picked that up during COVID. Um, so I love uh, cooking and sharing, res um, sharing recipes. Um, in fact, I have an Instagram account where I don't really promote, uh, but if you look me up as Shiv Cooking, you can see the hundreds of dishes that I, um, I cooked over the years, over the past uh, four years. Wow, that's very exciting, Shivi, and uh, knowing you since LinkedIn days and uh, coming this far and your LinkedIn journey, especially your social presence have been very inspiring and uh, things that you do, um, as I always uh, see, look up in my feed, uh, the AMA sessions you do with other product leaders, learned a lot from that. So highly encourage anyone who are not following Shivi, do follow her. There's a lot of uh, learning you can have um, just in a matter of few days. Uh, and Shivi, uh, very interesting to hear you developed uh, sharing recipes and food. So I remember uh, back in those days, once we had chatted about um, building a product for food foodies. So I, I remember that, uh, the design sense exercise we were doing. Well, um, uh, I mean, definitely exciting stuff you've been doing. And I'm more curious about your... Uh, recent uh, book that you have written what inspired you to write uh, this book and uh, could you share some key insights or learnings you gained uh, during the process of writing this book yeah for sure um happy to, to share um so i think um the book came about really was quite serendipitous i think um so 2022 was a major year uh for me in terms of like driving the audience growth. Um, I was seeing a lot of wins that I, you know, I 10 X my followers quite quickly because I was sharing a lot of product insight, but come 2020. So building on that momentum, right? W, for example, the CEO of Ancestry asked me to write, um, you know, a guest blog for her uh, at the beginning of 2023. Um, so I was like, oh, building on that strength. I really wanted to write a book. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to write because I was debating between writing a book about helping pivoters to find their career um, clarity or uh, writing a book about building products. Um, so at the time I thought, okay, I'm gonna do all this research, talking to uh, you know my friends who are best selling authors and see what the process is like of building a book, writing a book. And so that was January, you know, as part of New Year's resolution. Uh, but then very soon work picked up like big time and it was super stressful, super busy. So I just completely forget about this book and shelf it. Uh, in fact, I even stopped posting content for a while because I just kind of couldn't keep up with, um, you know, the intensity of daily creation, even though I, I had that habit uh, at the time for about 18 months. So, but at the same time, like you hear a lot about uh, GPT, right? Like it came out end of 2022, I remember even the Christmas uh, Eve, I was like playing around with all the different prompts, seeing online how people are talking about all the use cases about prompting. Um, so I was like, wow, this is really exciting. And, you know, LinkedIn, across LinkedIn, like we have to, a lot of teams reprioritize their roadmap in order to get ahead of like generative AI and then all the different questions. So it was really, the book began almost as a, 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 you know, like sort of a spark of curiosity, right? Like I, I feel like I had a lot of questions 
about AI, you know, how AI will revolutionize uh, product management, how it will impact our career, how does it impact ethical consideration, what are some questions asked, like, you know, how, how, do, how do human and machine coexist? So like, um, I had a lot of those questions, but I didn't have an avenue to really, um, you know, share it. So it wasn't until uh, in the summer, early summer, um, me and my, one of my friends who became uh, the co-author, we sort of caught up with each other after, you know, four or five years, old friend reunited. And she knew a startup um, that was building at a time, uh, you know, ability to upload a bunch of PDFs and generate a book within like 30 minutes. Obviously, right now with the latest GPT, uh, if you're on the pay plan, that capability is already sort of available and you can upload your own file. There's agents that help you do that as well. But at a time, it was still very novel, right? So we thought, oh, you know what? Maybe it's a fun idea to write a book while learning about this tech um, and, and play around with it. Um, so we spent basically a late Friday afternoon uh, working there for about 10 hours. I remember I got home probably around 1 a.m., 2 a.m., uh, because we were so excited about the tech. Like we talk about how to use it, what kind of things we can write. I uploaded a bunch of product books I read over the years. I was like, okay, I want to maybe model it off these piece of the book to talk about leadership, job to be done for about discovery. And so we had a lot of fun just kind of playing around with it. Um, the AI turned out an outline that looked good. But then when you read it, it wasn't that good. Just like most people working with AI, right? You, you sometimes get, uh, you know, disappointed about the output. So I think to the second part of your question about like, what are some of the biggest things I've learned? I think one was um, prompting is probably the most important lever in terms of working with AI, right? So the better you input, like how you craft what you want the AI to do by providing enough context, you know, uh, instruction, the role of who you are, who you want the AI to be, um, really, really makes a lot of difference. And then um, I, I use AI like openly. I knew that we we, we mentioned in the book that, hey, people have varying degree of credibility with AI, right? They might think like, oh, did you just copy and paste? How much did AI write the book? So we did involve AI in every step of the process, right? Research, brainstorm, outline, not liking part of the outline, needing more idea, more innovation. And then we went out and do a lot of research on our own as well. We also spoke to about 20 some leaders that were building Gen AI product and sort of incorporating that. And then this is where prompting comes in too, because once I incorporate those insight, I would tell AI exactly what I want, wanted to write. Like, hey, I wanted to start like this. Here's one example. Why is it good about it? Here's another framework, uh, how you can apply, you know, this framework to this concept, help me figure things out. And then I would say each chapter is probably anywhere between um, 50 to 100 to 200 prompts sort of iterating, you know, you, you pick pieces that were good and pieces that weren't good. So you kind of like co-piloting, like co-writing with the, uh, with AI. So it was a really fun process. I think in the, you know, in the process, you realize how much you really need to nudge the AI. And then also as we wrote it, you know, we started writing it in July or end of June. And then by September, the AI is already changing quite a bit. Um, with the new technology, new tools, like besides GPT-4, we also use like Perplexity AI, which I encourage folks to check out. 
is like a Q&A site, right? That gives you insight, chase the sources. And then there's a lot more, you know, just daily blogs about people talking about, oh, like new AI come out, AI agent, robotics, um, you know, like whether gen AI company emotes or not, if things are moving so fast. And big companies are moving fast as well, right? Not like in the old days where a startup is super fast. So it was it was quite an eye-opening journey of like playing with AI and just um, seeing how, you know, the speed of the, the evolution and talking to leaders in the field, learning how to ask the right question, getting to the right question. So yeah, it was a lot of fun writing it. That's exciting. Uh, your journey is exciting and thanks for uh, sharing those key insights. Wow, you wrote about uh, 200 prompts, you said, like per chapter. That's insane. Uh, I know prompt, uh, prompt engineering is very hard and uh, writing right prompts is not easy and it takes like effort and iteration. Completely agree. And uh, thanks for sharing those uh, insights. As we speak about generative AI and the context of product development, um, you said you have spoken to a lot of product builders. Could you give some examples of a company where AI improved user experience or metrics? What are, what are some of the realistic benefits you came across during your journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think um, there's many ways to think about it. Um, a good sort of... Um, I think framework to think about was um, I spoke to the head of uh, large language AI, like former head, I should say. He's now leading the AI effort at Cisco, but at the time he was um, sort of leading the effort at Google when nobody knew what large language was, large language model was. So he was at Google for about six uh, years, uh, Barack. Um, so he gave this framework, which I think it's really helpful, and then we can use it to evaluate. So basically, the framework is looking at what kind of use cases are most suitable to use Gen AI, right? Is it a hype? Is it a reality? How do you evaluate? So he, he gave this two parameters, and in the book I mentioned there are a couple more parameters you can think about, but really it comes down to the requirements for fluency, as in the, the quality of the output, right? How, how natural does the, link, the, the, the output needs to be? And then the other is accuracy, which also includes, um, you know, what, what's at stake, how risky it is. So, um, you know, if it's, for example, like a banking transaction or investment transaction that requires really high accuracy, then Gen AI is probably not a good application because, you know, AI still hallucinates quite a bit, right? Like depending on the input that you put in. So anything that's like needing for decision making, needing for high accuracy, um, not, not great, not super great use yet. Um, but if it's like, you know, creative tasks like writing a first draft of an email or first draft of a presentation or summarizing a key takeaways, um, writing a poem, um, you know, uh, writing a children's book or doing some sort of creative, right? Like if you're folks using, using Delhi or Midjourney to kind of just like get the first iteration of that design started, I think Gen AI is a great tool to jumpstart um you know a, a project it's also a great tool for people who for example like i you know if you wanted to amplify a certain capability that you traditionally don't have right like if you 
use a text to generate an image, use a text to generate an audio file, or use a text to generate an, uh, a, music, a piece of music um, or video. Those are all you know, good use cases for Gen AI. Um, but a lot of it right now is still quite a bit at the childhood playground phase, right? So for example, the, the earliest person that I spoke to was the head of uh, AI at Instacart. So the first pro project that they built was called Ask Instacart. Um, so the idea is that, oh, a lot of people come to Instacart already knew what they're going to purchase. How can they open up more market where they encourage, say, uh, discovery kind of shopping? So when you go to Instacart, instead of searching for salmon, maybe you would say, well, what goes well with salmon, right? So then JNAI can really inspire you for a recipe or some kind of shopping that goes well with a meal, right? Like if you are, say, vegetarian or pastarian, you can ask, well, what's good for a family of three? Um, and, and, you know, getting that input and then click one click to shop. So then you don't have to figure out, okay, how do I do meal prep? Um, you know, who, what needs to be eating, like, like all that stuff. So, so that's one use case for like a discovery use case. Um, it's hard to talk about the metrics, actually. I think in many ways, um, a lot of this GNAI stuff still has a lot of novelty effects, right? So people try out once, not quite sure if, if the input is, is good enough, the output is good enough to stick around. But it is still something I feel like, you know, it's worth testing um, and getting into the field because this is going to define the future, even though right now it's only at a, a playground phase and it's moving faster and faster. Um, other applications I feel like are, are more interesting are things like, you know, like Grammarly, for example, right, used to help you correct um, grammar. And right now is doing things that sort of predicts um, what will be a good uh, communication, for example, instead of going beyond the grammar correction, right, because that's so basic. But train the JNAI basically to say, hey, if you're a writing coach or if you're an expert communicator in executive communication and you're writing a, a summary um, and people are telling you, okay, here's the tone of voice that might sound a little bit more executive-like. Um, or here's where you are giving too much details and maybe you can simplify and streamline. So it appears to me like there's uh, opens up a lot more use cases and as, as an assistant and as a, um, a draft sort of helping you jumpstart that first initial phase of creation. I think those are the use cases that tend to best suited for GNAI. Um, and for folks who are not familiar with AI, like there's many different types of AI, right? Uh, GNAI is only a very small subset of all the AI that's capable. And there's a lot more other AIs, uh, you know, in different genre, like deep learning, supervised learning, unsupervised learning, and they do different things, right? Generative AI is more special in terms of being able to dynamically produce, you know, that output uh, and, and giving this chat line interaction. Um, so, yeah, I can dive deeper into some of this, um, but those are some of the key highlights. Thanks a lot. I think that this is very helpful. I mean, it's a good uh, insights that will encourage us to read your book further where we will find more details. So with interest of time, I'll dive into my next question. Uh, thanks for sharing those use cases and completely agree that in content and communication space, uh, generative 
AI is definitely doing great and other places it's evolving, um, which is great to see. Um, and the more we use, I think it is getting smarter. So that's given. But while we use it uh, more, and uh, especially when we are incorporating generative AI into our products, uh, from technical and ethical viewpoints, do you see any key challenges? And what should like PMs um, consider um, or overcome those challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um... And folks, feel free to raise your hand if you have questions for, for me or Madhu. Um, I think that there are quite a few challenges, um, obviously, and, and a lot of them are being actively worked on, which is the promising side. Um, I'll start <laughs> not by scaring people, though. Uh, a New York Times on December 7th uh, published an article that mentioned this concept called probability of doom, called P-doom ratio. Basically, for anything that's uh, anyone who's good at math, uh, probably alluded to like, well, how much is machine going to take over uh, humanity, right? Um, so there's a whole lot of debates among AI um, researchers. I think um, you know anywhere between people are talking about anywhere between like ten to thirty percent, um, but it's an interesting debate. So I started with that, but I'm not trying to scare people off. Um, uh, but more thinking about, hey, this is a serious thing, right? Like we need to really think about the responsibility and accountability that comes with uh, with AI and building the product. I think at a very basic level, you know, some of the common challenges just on the day-to-day -day working with AI, including things like, do you have good amount of day training data? Like how good is the quality of the data? What's the size of the data that you need to use? You don't want like garbage in, garbage out, right? You also don't want the model to have like overfeeding issues or underfeeding issues because of the inaccuracy of the big data. And then at the more sort of, um, you know, from a legal perspective, right, protecting privacy, how are data collected? How are data being used? Um, you know, like, uh, can you protect the, um, you know, the identity of the data, uh, the, the member of, of the user's data? Um, and then do you infringe on any copyrights? Um, uh, because AI, you know, a lot of data is being trained, AI is trained on a lot of data. Um, and then just like a lot of the EU regulations and GDPR um, and, 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 and et cetera. I think what I'd like to talk more about, though, is if you're a product builder or someone who think about, you know, what's the right thing to do for, so, for society, right? There's a lot of social and emotional challenges and um, limitations that comes with AI as well. Um, so, for example, obviously, automation sometimes can result in people losing their job, right? Like, or you feel like, man, AI is moving so fast. How do I keep up, right? That the sort of like feeling like your skill set is being replaced every, I don't know, six months, a year, right? Um, and then what if AI have like is spreading misinformation, like deep fake, right? Especially during election years, you know, what? how do you know? what's right, what's wrong, what's truth, what, what are facts. Um, and then if AI is, is always trained on the same, like the data, uh, the same set of data over and over, uh, we just keep seeing like cookie cutter, basically paragraphs, and it's lacking that creative, um, you know, cognitive diversity, right? Like we're all 
being just trained on the same thing and produce the same thing. And it's kind of like a cycle that, 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 that you, you don't break off. So it's reinforcing sort of like existing beliefs, preferences or biases, right? Like discriminations. Um, and then um, how do you know AI a lot of times is a, a black box, right? Many of you who work on AI, especially with Gen AI, is like you can't predict what it's going to come out. So it's this black box of like, how do you explain or bring transparency of what goes into producing those data and then therefore giving a human more, more sense of control versus um, you just kind of like, you know, let, let AI run with it, right? Like with, with this black box. Um, there's a number of technical challenges as well. Like, you know, like it's very resource intensive, very expensive, right? The economic value, the ROI needs to be calculated pretty, um, you know, like for example, in the software times, right? In the old days, when you build a software, you have the initial cost to building it and the infrastructure cost to hosting it. But that's basically about it, right? The margin is uh, very fat. Um, but with Gen AI model, every, you know, query, every prompt, uh, it comes with certain tokens and limits and, and, and cost. Um, so there's definitely a economic equation and model that needs to be ironed out. But that technology is also improving over time. So a lot of times, you know, that cost could go down and that's the hope, right? That's where you will see the ROI turning positive. Um, and then a lot of times it's like, uh, sometimes it's with generative AI, I told you I spend 200 prompts for one chapter but imagine you have to build a product with so many different use cases, edge cases. Every time the model uh, gets updated or the prompt changes a little bit, the output might be very different. Uh, it might be worse than what was uh, previous uh, output. So there's a, a sense of like, they call it prompts, a Britness, a Britness, right? Like it's like you change a little bit and then the, a lot of the output change. So like, how do you manage version control to make sure you know, that um, you're not regressed, right, in, in the user experience and when a lot of things are also um, not uh, not predictable. So I think those are some of the ones I think in the book I dive into a little bit more, but I think I'll leave folks with the message that as product builders or people who are, um, you know, interested in learning about product and AI, I really encourage us to take a very active role in playing a accountable citizen, right, in this new AI world, to be um, really aware of what's happening and the impact of this technology, and to educate your team as well as having those conversations around how you know how do we build trust, right, and uh, uh, in, in using and in using the, the, uh, this this models. Completely agree, Shivi. Well said, and uh, definitely your book is. Uh, the place to go for uh, to learn more about the challenges um, but I completely hear you about the trust factor accuracy uh, in terms of uh, getting the right results and tuning and keeping up with the data changes or prompt changes these are very hard uh, part and also ethical use of the product is important whoever is building so these are great messages for anyone who's listening and learning this um, any questions from audience? We are about time. Maybe we can go over like two, three minutes extra. If there, there is any question, raise your hand and I'll uh, invite you to the stage. You can unmute yourself and ask questions to us. 
Yeah, I don't see anyone raising hands. Calling once, twice. Okay, I see somebody with me. Priyanka, I invited you to the stage. You can unmute and ask your question. Hey, Madhumita. Uh, thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh, firstly, I hope... Yeah, go ahead. What's your question? Yes. Um, uh, Shavi, great points there. Um, as someone who is getting into, um, you know, the foundation model space and uh, bringing uh, this to like a cohort of 100 girls, it's very important to understand the first principles of computational thinking and then, uh, you know, get them to the cohort. Um, so the question here was, you know, with the kind of... Um, uh, loco no code stacks out there, which is already available. It I think uh, currently the oh, everything um, which can be described as gold in generative AI is the data set. So how does one um, you know kind of take like in top three steps, validate the data, ensure <laughs> and we are building and ensure that we are building responsibly and ethically. Yeah, great question. I think a lot of it comes from, so I'll speak from more sort of like, um, I guess, like mental model to start. Uh, first is having the awareness, right? Like at the matter of the fact that, um, you know, you're asking that question is a great first step, right? Uh, we need more people to ask similar questions, to be aware. And then I think, um, you know, it's helpful to start with like what goes into the training data. Um, with foundation model, it's sometimes even harder because there's large, large volume of data. So I think there's one way is like making sure you have clean data going in as much as possible, raising the awareness, having this kind of conversation. And then the other mechanism, which is more reactive or, um, or sort, of, sort of reactive proactive, let me put it this way. What that means is that you, um, what in the book I talk about red teaming, meaning like um, you anticipate uh, what are some use cases that could go wrong, right? And then you kind of like, try to uh, protect, um, you know, by giving guidelines of when to disengage or when to not make up information um, so so as to reduce biases. Um, so you can, you know, test with real-world real uh, example, crafting very uh, clear guidelines, uh, involving cross-functional partners, because in this time it's important to involve, let's say, the PR team, right, public relations uh, team, involving, um, legal team to understand, well, what are some of the uh, pitfalls or, you know, uh, areas that people tend to probably, um, you know, think uh, can go wrong, right, to protect that. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, going back to kind of like looking at the data, knowing, you know, taking proactive measurements to kind of figure out where things would go wrong. Uh, are you providing, uh, you know, the privacy of the members? Those are basic, basic steps that you can take. Um, and then, yeah, like awareness, taking basic, basic measurements, having rat teaming to stress tests, you know, what are the different scenarios? And then finally is owning up to it, right? Like defining guidelines and if things goes wrong, um, you know, take it up like you know take it as a learning use cases and and, and then fact that into your model wow uh Shri, that was really insightful rag um uh, rag uh, augmented stress testing is was not on the uh charts but we're definitely <laughs> going to include now thanks so much for your insights no, thank you for the question
Shivi, we'll take one last question and then we'll wrap it up. I see Ruchi had uh, raised her hand. Where, Ruchi? Thanks, Madhumata, for the opportunity. Uh, Shivi, the session was really insightful. Um, I know you mentioned uh, and answered Priyanka's question by mentioning that rigorous testing is something that is some uh, that can help to see how the Gen AI model is performing. But I was wondering, apart from that, is there any specific way in which uh, we can create like a protocol to uh, evaluate our Gen AI model to ensure it's not disclosing any sensitive information as a part of a company demo or even incorporating a Gen AI model into company products and things like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, actually, this, I think, comes down to two things, I would say. In the book, I delve into a lot more. But I think um, the first thing is, again, I always start with the mindset, right? So the mindset, I think, is uh, <laughs> playing with Gen AI, you need to have uh, what we call like an improviser mindset, meaning that um, no matter how many times you kind of practice that, you go to a demo room with the exec or with the customer, and they ask you something, there might be an embarrassed moment because you don't know where you don't know, but try to try to avoid that. Not, not necessarily avoid that, but embrace that if that happened, especially if it's internal. If it's a client, I get how it can get a little, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, embarrassing, but, but make that as like, Hey, we're, we're doing this co-creating this with you, right. To lower that right. sort of like expectation for like, Oh, everything needs to work well. So that's number one and giving like them. The, uh, so I think that's number one. Number two is giving people control. What I mean by that is that, so I can give you two other example. For example, um, LinkedIn uh, recruiter in mail is where recruiter sends to, you know, candidates to say, Hey, Ruchi, you might be a great candidate for this job. So crafting that message takes a lot of effort, right? Um, so we wanted to be able to automate crafting that message for a recruiter. Uh, by giving them a panel of choices of telling that, hey, here are all the data points that we're using to fit that model. Um, so giving them controls, so they, they know what goes in. And if things goes weird and whatnot, they at least knew, oh, okay, maybe the model was dumb. But I know what ingredient goes into that dish. Um, the third thing I would say is that a lot of people start talking about um, how much should we have people chatting, like a chat-only interface, or you should really give people prompts, meaning like, um, you know, one click, right? Like you guide them what kind of question to ask. So then you can also minimize the chance of them thinking like, oh, I have to think about what to ask or giving like bad actors uh, a chance to really, you know, say whatever they want, right? So if, if your use cases are super specific, I feel like a good practice, some of you might already seen it on LinkedIn is like, you you basically have the prompt like like um an option to select what you want to do with it. Like Grammarly also have options for you. Like once you write a a, a a prompt, they ask you, hey, do you want to shorten it? Do you want to adjust the tone? Do you want to simplify yeah. it? Like mm -hmm. that kind of control. Um got it. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thank you, CV. I know we are running out of time, so we can wrap up. Thanks a lot for your time. So if folks are interested to read your book, um, how where, where they should go and then how to get it. Yeah. So if you go to my profile, um, you can see a link uh, to Amazon. 
I think if you're international audience, um, I believe the Kindle ebook is available in many markets, maybe not the paperback. Uh, but thank you so much again for, you know, staying on this audio uh, late at night. Um, I hope you learned something. If you have feedback, new insights, please uh, share with me. You can always LinkedIn me or, um, or send me an email at shavishi at gmail.com. Um, I welcome real life insight to enrich the book because I really see it more as like a learning journey for myself and for all of you. Um, and I don't want to make it as like, this is the right way to doing Gen AI because this is so new. So if you have a new perspective, new things about the book can get better, please share. I'm happy to incorporate and give you attribution for credit for contribution as well. Um, so the, think of the book as an MVP um, and I want you to use it uh, and give me feedback. But thank you again, everybody for uh, staying on and listening and thank you Madhu for the opportunity. Thank you, CB. Thank you, everyone, and hope uh, you have a good night.